big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big one. Welcome to you. My name is Marion Rose. And I'm Lael Stone. And today we are doing our second Q&A, which yeah, I'm really excited about. Are you now? I am. It's really nice to respond to what people want to know. And um, both being great responders to what life shows us, I think it's really great for us to, to um, have, you know, that um, <laughs> words. <laughs> be invited to reflect on questions people have that that sound that was really hard to get out then. <laughs> that's usually me I'm usually the one that's funny the words won't come out <laughs> I'm sending you love thank you thank you um we do get lots of questions which is awesome and sometimes we get messages and questions on instagram that we can't always answer so i think as we move forward we're going to do more q a's because i think it's such a great way for people to get their needs met and their questions answered and i think there's lots in it for everybody isn't it with some of the stuff that comes up Mm, so then you reminded me to say as well of course anything that we answer with this is not a consultation so we do not know all the things that are going on in the background. Um, so please always listen to your own intuitive sense. Um, if you want some more in-depth work, there is a whole load of aware parenting instructors all around the world. So you can find those on uh, awareparenting.com website. Um, so please take into account that we're just reading a few lines and offering a general perspective. So um, you know, but please trust yourself and go and get uh, some a session or a few if you really have a sense of needing more support. This is kind of more giving giving ideas, isn't it? Giving giving kind of general ideas. Mm, yeah, good. Yes, thank you for saying that, Marion. Yes, and there's lots of amazing support out there. I mean, there's lots of great resources, and of course, there's some amazing instructors all over the world who are there to you know listen and and help unpack stuff too. So yeah, it's awesome. Yay. So shall we begin? Let's, let's dive in. So um, we've kind of aimed to put these in a little bit of kind of categories. So the first one is about apologies. So I'm going to read the question. So um, this listener says, hey, love the podcast. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I'd love an in-depth exploration on the politics of apologies. Forced apologies sit badly, but then invitations to apologies that are ignored also sit badly. The worst scenarios are those when it's in public involving other people's kids and there is somehow an expectation of an apology from the other child's parents. Sometime if there is no apology, it kind of stings and an apology, even a, a false one, can, say, uh, can feel like a sense of closure. Equally, sometimes as adults, apologizing is used as part of being polite and as social etiquette, too much apologizing makes you seem weak but no apologizing makes you seem an enti entitled and insensitive. My kids are two and a half and four and a half, but I suspect this issue is problematic for all ages. Well, that's a good juicy question to start with. And I think something that most parents, I guess, have ideas around or perhaps contemplate on how to work with this. Uh, look, for me, as an overall thing, I come back to we want, if we're talking about apologies or we, I often call it repairing or whatever words we use, 
you know, for me, I want it for myself and I guess for my children to feel authentic, to be authentic, to come from a place that's, that's like, Oh, I'm really sorry that that happened. Or, you know, I made a mistake. Can I fix it? Or, you know, where it does come from that authentic self. And, you know, this listener's right. We have a culture that says that we should apologize because that's being polite and that's good manners and all those kind of things. I can only speak to when my kids were younger, um, you know, and we have done, we have talked about this on our podcast before about, um, you know, often if we make children apologize and they're still got a whole lot of feelings on board or they don't feel like they've done anything wrong, we're, we're asking them to do something that's really inauthentic. And often that's where you feel that inauthentic apology. So, you know, to go a bit deeper, we have to look at if something has happened, you know, what's driven that child to do what they've done, you know, what are the needs that aren't being met there? Can we meet that first? Can we tune in and look at that? So for me, that was always my guiding light. If ever I was out with my kids, and something happened where my child took something from another child or something happened. And if I could see that my child was out of balance, then I, you know, there was no point trying to say, can you apologize or can you say sorry? Because there's, they're so in their stuff that, you know, that's what we need to look at first. So how I would manage it sometimes is if I could get there quick enough, I would say to perhaps the other child, I'm so sorry he took that from you. I think there's something going on right now. I'm going to help him with those feelings. Are you okay? And checking in with them. So I would be my child's voice in the beginning just in it and it was authentic because I could see that this that other child perhaps has been hurt or something was taken from them and then my attention was always going to go to my child to say okay what's happening here how can I help them find their way back into that balance and usually that was when they released their feelings or emotions or whatever we needed to do to find their way back and then you know I would often say when my child was feeling more centered I would sometimes just say do you want to repair in some way and I would leave it up to my child to find a way to do it so that became a common thing in our family particularly if you've got siblings you know you know that they're going to work out all these beautiful dynamics with each other and I would never for me it was always like you take the time you need to repair in the way that you need to repair in what feels good for you so I didn't have an expectation that they would do it I would really just energetically trust them that they will do it in their own time. And sometimes that would take a day. Sometimes I would see my, one of my kids would draw a card for their brother or sister and just slip it under their door. (laughs) Sometimes it would just be going past and giving them a hug. Sometimes it'd be making them food or just in their own way. And you could see between them as siblings that they would know that that's what it was about and it was acknowledged. But, you know, for me, it was always like when you are ready, if you want to do it in whatever way, always felt the best for me. But obviously our culture doesn't, or our society doesn't necessarily see it as that. And so for me, I just found that if I could be my child's voice um, to just acknowledge what had happened, I'm sorry if you got hurt, I can see that's there. I'm going to help my child with their feelings or what's going on. And that's how I would often handle it. So what about for you, Marion? Mm, yeah, very similarly um, to to be the voice to actually to do the uh to do the to offer the empathy really to the other mm-hmm. child and to often seeing as this person's saying is like the, the, especially if there's another parent around to see that we're that we're taking it seriously that I was taking it seriously that I was seeing the impact mm-hmm. on the other child and really um, you know that 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 mattered mm-hmm. and what I think as well I really love that you use the word repair mm-hmm. and in a sense as well it's kind of like what we often talk about behaviorism. So the behaviorism of approaches, you know, if someone's done something that's hurtful to someone else is 
is that they've done something wrong. They need to be shamed, basically, in a way. So there's that kind of apology, which is like, I've done something wrong, which is like a shame, an internalized mm. shame. And there's, a, there's an apology, which is much more about, um, exactly as you say, it's from an authentic compassion for the other person, to where we actually can feel into what the other person is feeling and experiencing as a result of our actions. And I think this is the same for us as adults to actually get to the point where we can understand that something we've done has been painful for someone else, but without, um, without shaming ourselves, but actually being able to hear what that was like for the other person to be able to actually really listen, give empathy, <laughs> repair. I mean, it's quite, uh, there are not many adults in this culture are able to do that because we live in the domination behaviorist culture. Mm. So I think to actually support our children, um, to do this is so amazing and you know I think lots of parents worry that if they don't make their child just say sorry automatically from that more shame place from that more I've done something wrong that their children will not be empathic whereas to me it's the opposite is the case is when we listen empathically to what was going on for them that caused them to do that thing that was painful for the other child they can express the feelings, as you say, they can come back into their connected space where they can feel natural empathy. Their true nature is loving presence and, and compassion. So they can then actually sink into, oh gosh, yes, you know, Sarah's, you know, that she feels upset or that hurt her. But we, we, if we try and make them apologize from a place of shame or should, they're not really feeling that empathy. So it doesn't actually do what we really want it to. And I don't know about you, but I found for my children, my son particularly so often say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's like, so the opposite has happened. I never made them say sorry. And actually I hear it quite often. So. Mm, mm. I also want to say too, this is such a great point of when we get mad or upset as parents, like if we are tapped into something big and our child's done something and we don't want to say, I'm sorry, I yelled at you yet or we've still got our stuff on. Yeah. Even us apologizing to our kids can feel very forced because we are right in our feelings. And so we're much better off to just pause, just say, I'm, I'm in my stuff and I'll come back or whatever and go and move whatever we need to move or address it or feel it so that we are dropped back into our hearts to then go and connect with our child and apologize because that's our child's going to feel that then and go, oh, okay you hear whereas if we're like i'm sorry i yelled at you but i was really frustrated and with it it's not going to feel that great for the child so we can model that by again really tuning into ourselves where am i at what do i feel and then you know when we are back in balance as well can we can we connect into our child and repair in that way it's often much more authentic and often is received you know with love and openness as well Yes. And I think also like really working on our own internalized shame that we've, you know, we've internalized. I so often hear parents say, oh, you know, I shouldn't have done that or I'm a bad mummy or I, you know, whatever. But we're still teaching our child that the way to go is to shame or judge ourselves rather than mm. be deeply compassionate with the reason why we did that in the first place. And I do think that's, and I know for me, it took quite some while to go from a place where if I did anything that was even possibly remotely painful for someone else I would be so consumed by shame there's no way I could even listen to what possibly might be going on for them all I could do is go oh, you know I'm sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm really sorry I'm so sorry but that's you know that's not I'm not hearing them I'm not present for them it took me a long time to get to a point to actually be able to 
to listen to the impact that I've had on someone else and actually not shame myself and be able to really listen empathically. So I think that's what we're doing when we do this with our children. We support them to actually be able to, first of all, understand compassionately why they did what they did, then naturally come to that empathy and compassion for the other person without shaming themselves or judging the other. I mean, that's a huge thing in in any relationship, isn't it? If, if they grow up with that, I mean, it's amazing. Mm. Totally, totally. Yes, such a great question. Mm. Yes, yes All right. much deeper than we thought. Next one, similar theme. Um, I would love you to speak about rewards and punishments and how they communicate to our children that love is conditional, how they experience us when using bribes or threats, why we do it in the first place and what we can do instead of these things so that the needs of both child and parent are met. Okay. This is probably, this is another big one as well. We do, we have a a podcast where we've talked about this for sure. So look, I think why to, to, to bring it back just pretty simply why we use rewards and punishments is because when we often feel out of control or because as parents or because that's the way we were brought up or because that's how our culture says we should do it. That's why we default to doing it. And it sometimes works. It is short-term little fixes for sometimes getting what we want. If we want our child and they won't, you offer to give them a lollipop, then, you know, that might work, right? Until it gets to the point where, you know, the, the, you know, the joy of a lollipop starts to wear off and instead of a lollipop they want a donut and then instead of a donut they want you know an ice cream and then before you know it you're having to bring out sugar every time you want your child to do something so you know there's there's many incredible books out there that are written around you know why punishments and rewards don't work and and again even to you know we we've discussed this especially with punishments you know that what it does is it teaches children to lie about their behavior because no child is going to acknowledge or admit that they've done something wrong if they know they're going to be shamed they know if love is going to be withdrawn from them they know that you know stuff that they enjoy doing is going to be taken away like no human in their right mind would go okay well i'll be honest about that because you're then going to hurt me if i tell you what i've done so it makes it doesn't make any sense but i think as we often talk about the behaviorism paradigm was so much about good and bad and this belief system if we make people bad feel bad for what they've done then they'll want to be good and you know we see there's so many flaws with that because all it does is create a deeper darker story within about who we believe we are so i think you know there's some excellent books out there on why punishments and rewards don't work and and you know and and i see this often when i'm doing talks for more kind of for some of the audiences i talk to and they're often like, but if I don't punish them, like, what am I going to do? Like, what else is left? And I'm like, well, that's where we often come back and talk about connection. And you talk about this so beautifully, Marion, that, you know, a child's natural inner state is to want to stay connected to us, is to want to please, is to want to often be agreeable with what we're doing. But they find it very difficult if there's a whole lot of other stuff going on. So connection is what we're looking for or searching for what we're aiming for when we're wanting cooperation on some level but it's a big one to undo because you know we all most of us were brought up in this way of punishments and rewards and and often we've never seen what it looks like to not do that so it's a big one to stretch to for a lot of parents yeah so big 
I often, I, not often, I wanted to add as well in terms of punishments, often they work through, through fear. So they may, uh, in inverted commas, work, but often they work because the child is scared of us or what we might do if they do something. And so again, it's, I loved what you said. It's a fundamentally different perspective about who we, who our true nature is as human beings. Do you know, I remember I was at a big supermarket and I don't often go to those about a year ago. Um, and the, people next in the queue had two a mum and a dad and two young children and the young children you know were clearly quite agitated and probably had some big feelings as many people are after they go to big supermarkets I am as well um and I saw the parents there just uh really in that mode of uh, the threats and the bribes and the not actually bribes it was more like the threats and the punishments and the and to me, I just, I just looked so stressful for the parents as well. And I think that's the thing about that is like, if we, if, if, if we're in the old paradigm of power over, it, it's, it's not at all enjoyable to be in that position. It's, it's not, it didn't look at all relaxing. Or didn't look, it didn't look connecting. It didn't look anything fun to me. And, um, you know, not saying that, being with feelings and responding to children when they say no and all of the things is necessarily easy all the time but there's something so deep that happens when we actually do the do the you know do this new way of doing things and the person said sorry i cannot speak either okay so what i wanted to say is what else can we do and basically all of our podcasts about what else we can do so the more uh we listen to a child's give them information you know that list of three that letha has that i was going about give them clear information meet their needs as much as possible and listen to as many of their tears and tantrums as we possibly can the more naturally they are going to want to connect and cooperate and contribute and do all the things we love they they actually enjoy that it's just like us we want to we want to feel in your words balanced it's enjoyable in our bodies to feel naturally relaxed and do all those things and that is a child's true nature and that's the in a way the saddest thing about behaviorism and rewards and punishments is that when we see children through that old paradigm it actually we don't really see who they really are and almost that's the the biggest loss in a way to to think there's something you know that child is bad or naughty or misbehaving rather than here's a child what's going on for them what do they need do I, you know how can i listen to them it's a, a fundamentally different experience as a parent it's it's massive that's such a huge shift and i think i find that one of the most profound parts of, of raising our children with consciousness is that piece there to actually look at it so they're not doing something to be bad or to be naughty. They're saying, can you help me? Something's going on for me. I'm waving a red flag at the moment going, this feels really full on. And so I'm telling you in the only way I can by saying I hate you or by throwing something against the wall or by not taking the rubbish out when you ask. <laughs> like I'm, I'm still learning how to communicate where I'm at and I'm telling you that this is my behavior is saying, this is what's happening here. And, and look, you know, I, I'm sure the same as you, Marion. Oh, I know it's the same as you. You know, I've never punished my kids. Um, I've never used rewards. I might, as te- as older teenagers, I'm like, could you please go and do this for me? <laughs> um, you know, and then, you know, we have a joke about that. But um, I've never, I've never have. And people will often say, well, what do you do for discipline? And I'm like, it's not, 
about that because if my kids are acting out my again my 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 radar goes off and says something's going on so i'm going to go towards what is going on more so than what are you doing and when we get to the what is going on and we see what is driving the behavior then whatever they're doing often stops pretty instantly because we've met that need for whatever's happening there and and i think the biggest piece of this is that my children whenever they've stuffed up or they've done something wrong like we are the first people they call they ring and go this is just what's happened or I've just done this or, you know, can you help me? Or, and that to me was always one of my goals in raising kids is that we are their safe place to come. And so when there's no risk of getting in trouble and there's no risk of being punished, of course they're going to come and say, Hey, I've stuffed up. What do you think I should do? Or can you help me? And, you know, I think that I know the fear for many parents is that if I don't, punish or I don't have discipline, then, you know, they're going to end up being, you know, out of control or be, you know, horrible people. But it's actually when we put connection at the center of this, it's the complete opposite, the complete opposite. It doesn't mean they're not going to do stupid stuff. Let me just, I just want to say that. It doesn't mean you can have this angelic child because they're meant to make mistakes and stuff up. Like they do that stuff. And my kids laugh if ever they do something you know, they might have say stuff up. They go, you told us that our job is to make mistakes to learn. I'm like, yes, you're right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I laughed the other day. My daughter was, she did something and she's like, are you going to ground me? Can you ground me? I'd like to be grounded. What, what would it be like? And I go, well, what, what do you think I should do? And we were joking and laughing about it because she's like, how would it feel like? I go, do you want me to do it just for a week? <laughs> so we were having a joke about it. Anyway, um, yeah, we didn't. She hasn't. <laughs> And I go, does it make sense to you? She's like, no, not really. So anyway, yeah, I think that just to reassure parents that there is another way that you can do it. And I think, you know, there's a great quote you have, Marion. I don't even if you know your own quote, but I used to, I love it. It was like punishments and rewards create the out, no, something like create the outcome no, 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 it's something like it was so memorable that you really cannot remember. It. No, 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 it's really good. It's something like listening to feelings creates the outcome that punishment and rewards wants to happen, or something like that. I've just totally butchered your quote. It's beautiful. It's written. I don't I'm going to find mine. it. Now. I think it's somebody else. Oh no, it's really beautiful. It's yours. I remember it's yours because I've got your name underneath it. Um, but it's exactly that. Like what we're looking for with punishments and rewards of trying to get our children to behave or behave in inverted commas is what happens when we listen to their feelings. I just totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I love that. Do you know, two things. One is if we use power over, which is what punishments are and rewards are actually as well in a way is we, you know, they get to a point when they just get taller and stronger than us and they and they can drive and they have money and it's like we we run out of power so that's one thing what was the other thing I was going to say oh darn it I cannot remember now I don't know where I got darn it from but um yeah do you know what I would like to say one thing is I always did aware parenting practiced started practicing aware parenting nothing to do with behavior I, I wasn't ever thinking about behavior when I started I was always wanting to listen to their feelings as much as I could and um, that was the only thing that was really important to me and then I found along the way oh my god this doing that has all these amazing um, things not what's the outcomes not outcomes but you know their behavior is fundamentally different 
as a result of that. So I'm really grateful I came into that and kind of did the experiment to see that, you know, the, basically the more connected we are, the more we meet their needs, the more we listen to their feelings, the more they behave exactly there we go the more they behave in the ways that we really enjoy which we're trying to get them to do using power over ways using punishments and rewards because that's naturally what they want to they want to do all those lovely things that's who they really are mm-hmm. yeah that's good so there's lots more to to learn and to explore on that and one of our podcasts i don't know what it's even we called a couple as well didn't we yeah, but you can go back and have a look and we talk more about it. Because well, we did some... one also on behaviour and feelings, which is really relevant to this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Alfie Cohn, I also really recommend Punish yes. by Rewards out all of books on yes. things yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> okay. Next. <laughs> I love talking about this stuff, don't you? Yeah. Right, next one. Um, firstly, thank you so much for everything you show on your podcast. So honest and raw, inspiring and motivating. Yay. Um, I feel good about my parenting direction after every show. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. My question, how to deal with a strong-willed three-year-old? My daughter is like her dad, a strong-willed, decisive Aquarian. She knows exactly how she wants things done and exactly what she wants I feel like I give in to her all the time because the battle to put my foot down slash follow through is just so exhausting. Is it always going to be a losing battle when this is just her personality? Thank you. Can Do you I want to start with this yeah. one? No, How did you guess? How did you guess? I'm just oh, going to handle this. I'm waiting for Lael to talk, but I really would like to go first. <laughs> go uh, yours. So I want to say, number one is that naturally, I think all children know, you know me, I go on about this, it's not so much aware parenting. They know their yeses and nos. That's how I call it, our slug wisdom. You know, a baby knows you know, which, where to move forward to and what to move away from. It's like our innate knowing. Unfortunately, that gets conditioned out of most of us and has for most of us. So um, that's one thing. So there's a natural yes and a no that all children have, you know, that they certain things that they will have a no for that they do not want to do. And to me, that's just like uh, them knowing themselves and, and knowing what their bodies are telling them. However, the way I see it and uh, is that often children are called strong-willed when actually there are some feelings um, that haven't quite yet had uh, been expressed with us. So if there are quite a few feelings bubbling up and there might be particularly things around autonomy and choice and there might be um, some outrage or frustration that's built up in their bodies that they haven't yet had enough opportunity to really rage and cry and really express in the ways that they you know their bodies naturally do is then what we will see is often they will um, say no to everything rather than say no to some things or when we say no they have a really big reaction always Um, uh, they never they are very rarely ever willing to cooperate uh, so in other words, they say they've got a no all the time rather than a no some of the time and a yes some of the time. So if, if it's almost everything is showing up as a no, which often children are called strong-willed, unless we are using power over them all the time, uh, in which case they're probably going to be responding to a no, that often means that there is some big feelings that need to be expressed. And that's why this is showing up in this way. So another thing to notice is the language 
that we're using. So I noticed the, the language you used here, and I know this is a whole different way, but when we think about giving in or putting our foot down or following through, in an aware parenting perspective, it's more about um, really understanding if our child has got lots of this, these feelings to express and they're saying no and they're never wanting to cooperate, then the, some of the best gifts we can give to them are um, offering a loving limit. So when we, if they're perhaps whiny and agitated, in other words, there's lots of feelings there and uh, I don't know, whatever they do, whatever we do, they're not happy. And they're just like, no, 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 It's often a sign that they've got feelings to express. So we can just move in and say, and I really hear that you're, you know, whatever it is and I'm, and I'm not willing to do that or I'm not willing for you to do that and I'm right here and I'm listening. So we did a whole podcast on Loving Limits. And then all those big feelings that are showing up in all these no's all over the place get to come out in a really beautiful, big rage, tantrum, big, ah, but no, I really want that. So that is all those feelings that didn't get to be expressed. So it's really a different way of seeing things rather than um, putting my foot down or following through or a battle. It's really like, again, looking to see this different way of seeing a child. And if a child is saying no all the time, they're actually asking for our help. If they're doing things that we know, that they know we don't want them to do, they are actually saying, look, I've got some feelings here, mum, dad, would you please express a loving limit? Just say no and just listen to me and love me while I just rage and express all these big feelings, you know, particularly after this year, all, all young children have big outrage, powerlessness, frustration feelings. That's so normal and natural. And particularly after 2020, it has been often way more powerlessness and fear, really normal and natural. So for us, it's about, it's not about giving in or putting a foot down or following through. It's simply clearly saying, I'm not willing for you to do that. And I'm right here and I'm listening and to listen to the big feelings. And then they can come back to, into a place where they, yes, they still have no for certain things, but they also have a yes for certain things. So that's my kind of philosophy, not philosophy way of seeing it. If, if it's almost always a no, that's not just about clear will. It's actually about unexpressed feelings. And I'm really glad I expressed that. They came out quite clearly, didn't it? Thank you. That was amazing. <laughs> I just was sitting there listening going, oh, it's like I was hearing it for the first time. Well, I was that making was it up for the first time. That's why. No, that was really excellent. That was such a beautiful explanation of how, of how that all sits. That was amazing. And I guess the only thing I would add to that, I would which is the same about the child, would it be about the parent, is about, you know, of course we always look at, well, what does that activate in you? Are there feelings from your past? from your childhood that bring up this sense of powerlessness or being told no of feeling disrespected or what where where are you in the story so I would really invite this mama to feel into what what does it feel like for her when her little one does this what what comes up for her what is that an invitation to look into a little bit more and I think you know one of the one of the things I have found so much in this year particularly with all the work I've done with um, working with parents lots in this, you know, the, the immersions this year have been about going deeper into the stories and the imprints, particularly around setting limits and, and boundaries. And that 
for women particularly, and, and again, it can be the same for men, have such a difficult time really holding their centre in a boundary. And we've discussed this in, in our previous podcast as well, where that comes from. And sometimes our children are really pushing us to say, can you please find your centre and your strength in this? Mm-hmm. Because when you are that and when you hold that, it helps me feel safer and I'm like, yes, they've got me. So that's another piece to really feel into. When we say no, are we coming from a place of like, you know, franticness or desperation or fear? Or just, you know, I remember before I learned all this, when I said no, I'd set a boundary with my kids, I'd be terrified of what was going to happen. So the energy that my child was feeling was, oh my God, here's this person who's an adult who is just freaking out. And so that didn't really create the safe container that they needed, you know, to move what they were moving. So that's probably what I would just say to an invitation into really feeling into what comes up for you, how anchored and centered are you when you are setting that limit and holding the space exactly is what you've explained, Marion, of what that little one might need. So there's some beautiful elements in there to feel into. Mm, I love what you said, Lau. Yeah. And, and to me, it's like so normal and natural. So lots of compassion for anyone who's listening, who finds loving limits challenging because we live in a culture where basically most of us have grown up with either not many limits or and and fear or power over which means you know blame or punishment or aggression so actually i i think that stating clear no's and staying in a connected no a neo no our loving limit is is actually quite a new thing and it took me eight took me years to really get to actually being able to do that so totally i agree lots of love and compassion to anyone who's still in the process of of learning that (laughs) i also want to say too look you know when we have little people who are are like this and there's lots of big feelings going on yes it's very challenging because you know we're trying to do things like brush teeth or get in the car or go to bed or things like that but you can also have children when they become teenagers or older who also, you know, whether you use the word strong-willed or not, but are going to do things when they're ready to do it. And I find when you have older children like that, it is such an invitation into letting go of how you think it should look and how you think they should be and trusting their timing and trusting their journey. You know, so there's a different quality I find that comes to it when our children are older and they have more, you know, they're able to go out and public transport or see their friends and do all that kind of stuff. There's a different element to it. And I've found that what I have learned through that, through having one daughter who really just moves in her own time, you cannot get her to do anything until she is ready to do it. And so she has taught me about letting go of what I think it should look like and my agenda and learning to trust her and her timing. And that's been the greatest gift she could have given me. And when she's ready to move, she moves fast, right? But until then, no, you cannot, no, nothing. You just, you have to walk away. You have to stand back and go, I have to let you do your life in whatever way you need to until you are ready. So it's been such a gift. Mm. I so resonate with that. It's really helps <laughs> also connecting with every powerlessness sweet spot that we have and in a, from our past and every way that we weren't trusted or we don't trust ourselves to mm. come to a point of uh, that deep trust. Mm. Isn't it? Amazing. Good one. All right. <laughs> Next. Okie dokie. Next one. I would love to chat about how best to support <coughs> how to support our children when you were going through a really challenging time yourself. I may not be as available or patient as normal. Mm. I had one thought that 
bubbled up is just a kind of uh, a brief thing I'm imagining you might say more but is that mm. I think it's really important uh, to take responsibility <laughs> for our own behavior so if we're not as available or we're reacting or we're doing things that we don't want to do as parents that it's really normal and natural for children to think that they are causing our behavior and that um, you know it's something to do with them so I think in any way that we can actually giving them information that's the number one thing in aware parenting to actually let them know that you know without giving them loads of detail it's not their job to listen to all our feelings but actually just to give them that information you know I'm really stressed right now or you know to do the repairing and so on but to actually explain it's nothing they're doing it's not their fault it's not their responsibility um we're sorry that, you know giving them that information I think is so important yeah I would say the same <coughs> thing I think for me it definitely is is being real with where we're at i mean children are so very good at reading what's going on energetically so we might be going i'm fine i'm fine and we're like the child's like no you're not and then that that creates even more confusion for them and i think that sets up like we've talked about this before it sets up this part where they learn not to trust what they're feeling because somebody an adult's telling them something different and so i and you, you, we know this as adults too when you see someone you love and they hey going and they're like i'm fine <laughs> a high pitch voice you can tell it comes from the from the neck up and it? it's a thinky it's a thinky fine isn't it yeah. uh and you're like eh, you're not really and um so we know our body we don't lie our bodies don't lie do they and so our children feel that and so i think that is I agree. It's, we're far better off saying, I'm really upset. I'm really sad. I'm angry. I'm stressed. I'm worried. All those kind of things. And exactly as you say, and I am going to take care of these needs, you know, so I'm, I've got some people to listen to me. I've got some help, all that kind of stuff. I remember once I think my youngest was like five or six or something and I was having some big feelings and she came up to me and she's like, would you like me to listen to your feelings? For me? <laughs> And I was like, oh God, I was like, thank you. But no, like, it's not your job to listen to my feelings. And I've got adults and grownups to do that. And it's really, you know, I mean, bless her that she was like, I know that will make you feel better. Like, let it out. I'm like, yes, thank you. But a six-year-old doesn't need to hold an adult's feelings. Um, you know, it comes so naturally, I think, when they've had that held for them. But I think what's beautiful is to really state, I'm, I've got... I'm going to deal with this and I've got people to help me deal with that. So that exactly as you say, it's not the child's responsibility. Um, yeah. And I think the next thing in terms of the question, how to best to support our children is then to actually act on that and to find a way of getting support, whether that's an empathy buddy, whatever it is, is actually doing, my microphone keeps going in and out it's actually doing something about it so actually not just putting up with it putting up with it is actually the best way we can meet their needs when we're stretched or whatever it is is to actually go and get support for ourselves absolutely 100 percent. and if we you know we always talk about this when we feel heard and we feel seen it increases our capacity to do that for our children as well so the more support and holding we need we can access for ourselves the more we will have you know in our tank to bring to our kids mm, beautiful thanks oh thank you next one da, 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 what an opportunity big fan of the podcast thank you so much um ba, 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 ba. one of the things that's keeping me 
busy lately is how to tell the difference between a repression mechanism and lowering the sensory overload after an intense day. An example, recently someone with experience in the high sensitive kids domain mentioned that watching television could help to relax after an intense day and shut down stimuli for a few moments. While I thought wanting to watch television after a hard day was more a mechanism of repressing emotions. Um, that's, a, that's the feather the dog in the background, if you can hear funny noises. Um, I can believe that it could be both, but how to tell the difference? I love that question. Um, yeah, love the, love the how to tell the difference. Cause that's Do you want to go first? Um, I think it's always like trying things out, like really observing. To me, one of the key things about where parenting is observing our child, our children. So like, for example, having a busy day, come home, watch television, if, if they want to but then it's like watching them afterwards how are they are they avoiding eye contact are they antsy and agitated are they biting their nails sucking their thumb picking their nose wanting to eat every chocolate biscuit in the house so we can tell if and this is on a bigger picture level we can tell if something has met a need or whether it's more of a suppression of feelings or repression or control pattern by actually observing the behavior afterwards to go, hmm, actually those feelings are clearly still there because either they're showing up or um, my child is needing to do something else to, to hold them in. So it's really so much about observation and just getting to like be curious. And the, the wonderful thing is none of us is ever going to be able to listen to hundred percent of our child's feelings. So all our children will have control patterns or suppression mechanisms. So it's not about judging us or them, but just understanding what's actually going on for them and how we can um, support them to meet their needs more, uh, to listen to their feelings more. So that's, yes, that's a great answer. And I, I guess I would add to that is that um, as the parent, you know, if you've had a big day out and you're busy and all lots of stuff's happened and we've come home and you're feeling a little bit fried and the child's like, can I watch TV? And you're like, yep, <laughs> because you don't, and you might see that there's some feelings going on, but you don't have the capacity to listen to that. Then it's okay. Like, you know, maybe everyone will benefit from just half an hour of not talking and quiet, which then gives you a little bit more, you know, to capacity to hold. Cause you know, you might then turn the TV off and then you might find feelings come up, you know, or they get angry, they want more, all that kind of stuff. And the beautiful thing about this is that if you don't listen that day, they'll come out the next day. <laughs> So that's, I think, the thing with to really understand if sometimes when we don't have the capacity to listen or we miss it, that, you know, some feelings have happened or whatever, they're not going anywhere. They're going to come out at another time when it's right and it's appropriate. And that, that, that helped me a lot when I was a parent of young children. Because, you know, I had this beautiful idea, I'm going to listen to every feeling that ever existed. And throughout the day, I'm going to, pl I'm going to attach my play. I'm going to, I'm going to like hold this really high standard of it. I had three children. I was doing it most of it on my own because my husband's working. I was like, nah, I can't do all this. And so I would do what I could do. And on the days when I couldn't, I didn't. And then the days when I felt like there was more space than I did. And I absolutely let go of this belief that to hold it all and to just know there's times in my life where I'm like, yeah, I'm smashing this and I can do it and I can hold and it's beautiful. And, and I was just feeling like, yeah. And then other days I'm like, nothing, no, no, can't just eat all the food and watch all the TV. And that's where we're at today. Knowing that 
the next day it was a new day and there was more space and then I could turn up for my kids. And I think that's really important. And I really want parents to hear that. And I, you know, we always talk about this is that I didn't come to where parenting to my oldest was like eight, right? We had a lot of eight years of not listening to feelings. So I learned so beautifully. I think he was seven. I always tell people. Seven. Seven. Oh, he was seven and a half. <laughs> well, he was seven and a half when Tally came on. Um, that, you know, it, we then started then. So all the stuff that was there and stuck, and maybe there's still stuff there. Who knows? But I just trusted that it'll come when it was ready to come. And that I think was just such a gift to me because it showed me that even if we come to it at different parts in our life, it's never too late for healing. So, yes. yeah. And I think we both talk about that, don't we? And I know for me, I came into weapons and very also, I listen to 100% of feelings, every need, and to me, half the journey of it has been about actually the, the reparenting to be deeply mm. compassionate to, to um, you know, to actually see that we're one step along the evolution journey, not trying to do 27 steps in one go. And yes. actually being so much more um, trusting of the whole journey. And, you know, mm. uh, but actually it's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just, you know, I think this is, this is the beauty of let's, uh, we joke about calling ourselves elders. We wanted a yeah. different word, didn't we? Um, that just being a bit further down the path and having yeah. done it a bit longer and having older children or having adults for children now yeah. that, you know, the stuff that we often get really caught up on or stress on when we're little, like I look back and go, it's so okay. It doesn't actually, I mean, I know it feels really big and it matters right now, but it's going to be all right. It's really going to be okay. Mm. And um, there are so many pieces about being human and there's pieces we're going to miss and pieces we're going to get. And it comes back to this trusting the journey of, and where we are and just, you know, turning up in the best way you can is amazing. So yeah, I know it's hindsight and, you know, having been in the trenches and done it all and then coming out the other side, you go, yeah, it's all good. You know, we don't know that when you've got little people and you're writing it. So yeah, but I, I mean, if I could go back and say anything to the younger mother part of me, I would hug her so tight <laughs> and I would say to her, it's going to all be okay and take the pressure off and have more fun, <laughs> have more boundaries, <laughs> like say no <laughs> for people, but have more fun. It's going to be okay. You, are you children, you're going to have done a beautiful job, even on the days when you don't think you are. So, you know, I, yeah to any of those young parents out there who are in those places just mm, lots of love and compassion to you mm. yes so much so much so much <sighs> next one um my husband and i find our nine-year-old daughter's behavior a constant challenge we see a lack of empathy driving decisions she disregards all house rules that restrict her from doing what she wants to do and turns to secrecy and sneaking. We don't feel like we are overly strict or authoritative, but everything is pushed beyond the boundary of what we set as acceptable. The resistance and compulsive limit pushing really affect our relationship, energy levels, and the family atmosphere. It also impacts on the opportunities we can offer based on a lack of trust that rules will be listened to outside of the home. Um, we talked to a psychologist who was very pro a reward-based behavioral change chart, which I am so uncomfortable with on multiple levels. I feel like ODD is definitely a possibility. First of all, I'd love to say I'm sending you so much love and compassion to, the, to this listener. I really hear how I, I hear a lot of kind of 
uh, you know, pain and challenge and hardness. So I always think that the most important things is if our child is doing things that we are finding really painful and challenging, it can be so easy to focus on the child and try and change the child. Um, and to me, it's always the, the first thing to actually come back and get get more support, get more listening, get more empathy for you know, and get to say all the things that we want to say and feel all the feelings that are showing up. And most of all, you know, what is this reminding us of from our own childhood? What is showing up for us? Because if we're in that place where we're so in, um, you know, lots of pain around what our child's doing, we really cannot that any help that we can offer anything that we can put in place is generally not going to be very effective because we're coming from that place of our own hurt and pain and frustration and judgment and all the stuff. So that would be my first um, suggestion. I wonder if you want to say more now. Yeah, I think that that's really beautifully put. I think I used to find this a lot when people would come for sessions and say, my child's doing ABCD. <laughs> what can I do to fix it? And, yes. and always I'd go, okay, well, yes, there's that going on. And I always come for the first place, which is that our children are always telling us something. So when there's resistance, when there's what we would consider defiance, when there's, you know, things that they're pushing up against, they're saying this, there's, you know, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on underneath this. And what I'm asking you to do is to see that. But exactly as you said, when we are perhaps in our own story, we don't look at it through that lens. We just look at it, how they're not cooperating and how it's making it really challenging. So, you know, I agree with you. The first place would be to go and talk about how this feels for you. What comes up for you when your daughter behaves this way? How are you both feeling as a couple? What, what, you know, what stirs within you? Because the way I see it on a bigger picture, and I know you agree with this, Marion, is that, our children are coming in and they say, hey, mum, dad, I want you to be the best version of you. I actually need you to be the best version of you because if you are connected to who you really are and you've sorted out all your baggage, you're then not going to project that onto me. And really what I want is to be free to be who I need to be. But I'm going to find that really challenging if I have to carry your stuff as well. So I'm going to behave in certain ways that are really going to push your buttons, that are really going to bring stuff up for you to hopefully give you the nudge to look at what that is for you because and I have seen this and I know you've seen this before Marion when parents get what the piece is for them then their child's behavior just shifts like that it's like it just it changes it can be not even in the same room you haven't even seen your child and then the child stops doing what they're doing because somewhere in the story or that this beautiful piece that we are when we're connected to our children when we move our stuff when we get it our children almost they go oh, yeah and then they don't have to keep carrying the same stories because then like are oh, you got that piece now I'm more free to be who I need to be so I know that for a lot of parents that when we talk about this they're like no just give me the like one two three steps <laughs> to, to, to make this better and I, I wish I could just go, all right, we'll do this, this, and this, this. But I know that it doesn't work if we don't look at where the parent is at, their story, because we can bring all in these behavior ideas, this play or these limits and that kind of stuff. But if we aren't moving our stories, then often it's not going to shift for them because we, we are so deeply connected together. 
So, you know, I, I guess I just reiterate what you're saying, Marion, is that, you know, I would really encourage you to, to get some support from an aware parenting instructor or a listening partner to unpack where that sits for you. And then just when you're looking at your daughter, keep looking behind the behavior, just keep seeing that her need to push up against things or whatever she's doing is coming from a place that says, I've got a whole lot of stuff on board and I perhaps don't feel safe enough to let that out yet. Or they're not releasing those feelings or, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that's happening inside, you know, powerlessness or whatever that is dictating how she's behaving. And I, I really want to stress, this is, this is normal. Like this is what happens in all families on many levels. Our children are going to behave like this. Your daughter is not bad or she's not naughty. She's not wrong. She's just saying, Hey, there's stuff going on for me and I'm not sure how to shift that. And this is, this is what happens in every family. Yes. And I think a helpful little barometer barometer is if we're not able to see through the eyes of love to our child, if we're not able to see lovingly, hmm, there's something going on for them. That means that we've either got some of our own childhood experiences and feelings bubbling up or some of our own cultural conditioning showing up. So the invitation is if we're not not seeing them through the eyes of love, that's what we need to attend to because until we can see them through the eyes of love, as you say, attach and play loving limits all that stuff it's you know it's the core is can we see who they really are that's the core isn't it i've never heard you say that before i know i'm just just all coming through me today i'm loving it i'm loving it too i haven't said it that's really good let's do more of these (laughs) that's really good i love that well it makes so much sense it's like if we're not i love that that's i don't need to say back what you've just said but i just i really love that so true so true. That was, a, that was a great question. And yeah, lots of love and compassion to his family because I know how challenging it can be oh, when we are in that situation with our kids. It's really hard. Yeah, it's, um, it's so in a way easy for us, isn't it? Because we have been through lots of things and we're, you know, things are much easier. But I remember having really hard times in parenting, particularly after becoming a... course my microphone went at that time and I just remember being so immersed in it and the pain and you know it's parenting can be we you know that is normal and natural to get immersed in the biggest and most painful hurts from our own childhood our own cultural conditioning so it's you know so much love to anybody who's in that right now and there is another side you will you will get to come out the other side righty-o oh I thought this one might be fun for us okay yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say we got one more. Yeah, let's yeah. keep going. Yeah. Um, uh, we are currently in the process of deciding on standard schooling versus homeschooling for our five and a half year old daughter who is starting prep next year. Um, should we have a fight now, Lael, or later? Uh, <laughs> we live out of town and have two other children who are three, year, three years old and nine months. Um, I mentioned this as if she caught the bus, she would be gone from about eight to four each day and if we drove her the two younger children would have about two hours a day in the car we strongly believe in a play-based childhood and child-led learning and feel that this isn't necessarily best attained for formal schooling um, i would love to hear your thoughts on the decision making process between the two our daughter is highly sensitive and bright um, and we're really struggling with the decision with what's best to do for her Obviously, you can't make the decision for us, but any powers of wisdoms would be highly appreciated. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I would just love to say to this, I think it's amazing if we are in the opportunity where we have choice around whether we're going to do schooling or whether we're going to homeschool. And I also just want to say right off the bat, nothing is forever, you know, like at this point and, and, and I'm hearing that mum, and I'd be like, Oh wow. I'd be choosing homeschooling because having two little ones in the car for two hours a day is probably going to be really full on. And is that really going to serve them? And, and perhaps why my daughter's still young, you know, like even if it was a few years of homeschooling as the older kids got bigger and then reassess where it's at, there's no, you know, finite decision. We can change and flow and all those kind of things. So I think it is really weighing up what feels great. Mm. I think there's lots of great things about schooling if it's the right schooling and then there's lots of things that are not so great about schooling and we've talked about this in some of our podcasts of schooling and it's it's what's made me build a school because I think there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on in schooling that is not okay and doesn't serve our children at all but I think at the end of the day you know you've got to come back to looking at all the pieces of the puzzle and I think if you really value that that play-based learning and and trusting your child then perhaps you know schooling at home and having opportunities to meet with other families and all that kind of stuff is a brilliant idea I think it is so you know I think it is a beautiful opportunity to explore to see if that lands with you and I think that um I don't know. I always get to the point where there's big decisions like this. I just, I kind of sometimes just go, well, let's let our child show us what they need, you know, and, or let's, let's hand it over to just seeing what turns up as the strongest yeses for us. You know, I don't, I just come back to going, I don't think there is a right or wrong decision. I think there is a decision we're making for now and that doesn't have to be forever. You know, that's where it is for the moment. So, um, you know, I would, I would sometimes just go, let's let go of the, you, I often get to this when there's a decision to make and it feels really heavy. I've got to remove the heaviness from it and just make it a bit playful and then just see what turns up and knowing that, you know, whatever I decide is right for now and that we can absolutely shift and change. Now that's coming for me. I, I've, all my kids have gone to school. Homeschool wasn't really an option for me just really because, I mean, it was, but I just, I didn't want to do it. And I also, wanted to work and create and all those kind of things and there was lots of options for school and it was close and you know and and I look at it was probably perfect for my kids what they've experienced in schooling in the city that we live in and what they have learnt, you know and it's also inspired me then to build a school because I saw all the bad parts of what happened at their schooling and when I want to create something different so I see the bigger trusting the bigger picture of all of all that was um so, yeah, so I, I don't believe there's a wrong decision. But, like, Marion, you know, you have done this with your children, you know, haven't been to school at all, and, and you've done your beautiful learning with them. So please share all your magic around it. Well, do you know what I thought it was funny because we could laugh and joke and say, let's have a fisticuffs around school, homeschooling. And um, what I love is that actually we have a really similar answer to the question, which is that mine would be very similar is, like, to me um, – it's really listening to what, what, what we have the biggest yes for, exactly as you said, what feels really enjoyable. And then we get to try it out and play with it. And um, you know, particularly when we're in countries, and I know there are countries in the world where it's actually illegal to homeschool. So I think it's you know, wonderful <laughs> that that's not the case. And I think also the way I look at the bigger cultural picture, that at the moment uh, also my experience of homeschooling is that it hasn't been... Um, 
what it could be because we live in a culture where most people go to school and where the things aren't set up in the way they are for school either. So to me, it's like similar to what we were saying before. It's also um, looking at there is no perfect, but what, what feels most enjoyable, we try it out and we keep on observing, listening to ourselves and see how it goes and, and do something different if it's not enjoyable anymore. Mm. Mm. So wonderful, isn't it? The way we get to choose. Mm. And I think really having that authority as parents that we really get to choose. And I often talk about this things like bedtimes. Like I think in this culture, there's so much cultural conditioning around how things should look. And actually I, my invitation is any parent is, you know, what, what feels really enjoyable for you? try out observe your child come back to the drawing board again how do you feel that's the ongoing experiment isn't it life is an experiment <laughs> mm, it is and i think the biggest challenge is actually stepping away from all these society norms that we've been indoctrinated with and actually go does that resonate with me or my family and if it's no then what would it look like if we did it the way that felt good exactly. and that's awesome exactly. like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's so much fun in that isn't there that's what i found is like whether from it's you know doing bedtimes differently or food or or learning or whatever it is that the more we actually listen to ourselves rather than to our cultural conditioning and actually our own family and what's the best fit that's where the magic lies that's so weird i i say all the time you know are you parenting that way because it's how you were brought up it's because our society is telling you to do it or because your intuition is saying yes this feels good and i think we can so miss that third one because we're so influenced by the other two so it's really good to tune in with ourselves and go yes is that a yes for me does that resonate what what is in alignment here so yeah mm, yes up for one more? Yeah, one more question. One more. I think it's because it seems a bit of a fit uh, or not a fit, but the next kind of thing on from there. Um, hello, my question is around finding a balanced approach for our family between playing with friends and time spent at home. I lived with, I lived with my three homeschooled children on a piece of shared land. The kids would often be out before breakfast with the horses and would happily play with the others all day and night. Sounds amazing, right? <laughs> It's just that when they do come in, they can be grumpy and disconnected. So I don't know how much it's helping the brother-sister relationship. Also, when I do ask them to come back for tea or family time, often they're happy to, but they sometimes hide, ignore my calls, lie to stay out. I'm so torn as I love this lifestyle, but I really value family connection time too. And I certainly don't want them to start being sneaky in order to stay out longer. I've tried sharing this with the kids. I just don't want them to resent home. So I guess I'm wanting ideas around boundaries that respect their desire for freedom to play and mind for time together. Um, any ideas would be much appreciated. Um, by the way, your podcasts are changing our lives. Yay. Thank mm. you. <laughs> Lots of love. Mm. Mm, I thought this one was really interesting as well. I, it's not something we've really done in our family because nobody has ever really wanted to whenever I've had a go. But family meetings, I know some for some families work really well. Mm. Family meetings where you get together and you actually keep talking about mm. the stuff that is not happening. It's not like mm -hmm. not everyone's needs aren't getting met and just keeping on coming back to um, giving empathy. But if you're not even doing it in a family meeting, to me, it would be actually just empathy for each person. So it would probably be 
getting a lot more listening for ourselves. What's going on? What does this remind us of? What are we finding challenging? What happens in our own family of origin? And then actually really listening to each child you know what's listening to their feelings what do they love what don't they love to me often it's actually through the conversation the empathy that things can start to change mm. yeah i i was going to say the family meeting we've done many family done meetings family, have you? Yeah. <laughs> we've had heaps You're of family like, meetings yeah. and it's been great because it's it's about listening to where it's at like often mike and i'll say hey this is what's going on and this and we're finding that this feels really challenging where are you guys at with it and so it's beautiful to hear everyone's perspective we put it out on the table what how could we all get our needs met what could that look like you know we often laugh about it we often will come back and let's try it for a bit and then see where it is to readjust because it is part of a bigger picture of the whole of the family and i think we even did that when our kids were little like two and three and we would discuss that and um, I, I find that that's a beautiful diplomatic way to do it, to know that, okay, this, this is where we are and this is what we value as a family perhaps and how can we do that so that it feels okay. And the children usually came up with far better ideas than what we did. It's like, that's what I loved. They, I was like, oh, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I really second that as an idea. I also just think, yeah, I agree with you about getting some listening time for yourself. And I, and I wonder too if, you know, kids playing all day outside, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it can be that it is some beautiful, amazing growth and development, but it can also be a bit of escapism. It also can become the control pattern. I just want to keep busy and going, going, going. So naturally when they do come home to the safe container, there are going to be feelings. And I guess that I would be asking or tuning into how does that feel for you? You know, do you feel like you have to brace yourself every time they walk in the door because there's going to be feelings? Or can you go, excellent, come on, bring it. You know, like I just be like, yes, let's go. So I think the energy we approach it with can make a huge difference as well, whether we see it as good or bad and just seeing you know my children have had this amazing day of being out and playing and creating and here is a really safe container for them to offload perhaps any of the hurts that have happened throughout the day or you know what they've had to negotiate or navigate with other kids you know here's here's the space where they can unload it which is the same as when you send your kids to school on some level kids go to school they kind of have things that happen throughout the day they come home and often they need to unpack that so you know i think it can it, it's it ha- like I see it as really quite normal for children who are out there in the world and doing all those kind of things that they do come home and go, here, here's are the things I'm carrying. So I guess I would just be asking, how does that feel for you as the parent? And, you know, do we see that as something that's wrong with that? Or can we see that as something that's really excellent? Or where, where are you resourced enough in order to hold that? And sometimes that shift of energy as for the parent to say, yes, bring it, amazing, makes a whole difference to how they release and how quickly they do it and what shifts in the family as opposed to seeing it as, oh, God, when you're out there doing all that, then you come home like this instead of seeing it as maybe just a really normal process. Oh, I love that, Lyle. Love how you hold that. That was one of the reasons I didn't didn't enjoy the idea of school. Anyway, um, <laughs> the other thing, I had a couple more thoughts. Number one, I don't know how old the children are, but I'm wondering if actually going in and, and being really playful about going to find them, maybe playing kind of hide and seek um, kind of, or making it fun, like going in. Yeah. With, so like reconnecting in a way that's fun, because I know we can easily get into serious places so I'm wondering if actually was kind of gathering them up in a really playful way finding some kind of fun games to fun ways of doing that might help 
And the other thing I find, which is not aware parenting, but it's my own willingness work, is that sometimes we can say, we can really want our children to do certain things, and it may be around connection or whatever it is. Um, and I, what I realized for myself is that so often I was going, but they're not doing it and they're not doing it and then still not doing it. And I actually wasn't willing for that thing to happen. So I actually needed to do my own willingness work. So, so often we can actually, not so often, but I think sometimes that can be the case where we're not looking at, are we really willing for what we really want to have? So that isn't aware parenting, but I found that really helpful. Mm. That's good. I, that part about the play, I think <clears throat> is really great because and I often talk about this, about what I call bridging connection. So like if your child is on the computer and they're playing and they're engrossed in that, and then we say, okay, we're going to stop now. Sometimes they need that bridging connection, which is that you come in close and you sit down for a few minutes and show me what you're playing and you've connected and you've engaged with them. And then you're offering them, Hey, let's go and do this now. So that, that moving from one thing to the other can feel a little bit easier. So, you know, that can be a beautiful thing too, to keep in mind. I love that you mentioned that about the play Mm. as well. Mm. Beautiful. Yay. And we actually do have other questions. So if you're like, oh no, you didn't answer my question, we will be doing more of these. So we've still got them, got them in my Evernote notes and we will attend to them another time. Yes. Beautiful. So this is going to be it for us for the end of 2020. We're going to come back next year. We've got a beautiful new, a few series of things, topics we're going to cover when we come back next year and more Q&As and more topical stuff. So we look forward to coming back and bringing some more fabulous conversation. The amount of people, and this is really beautiful, this makes me um, really warm, is that lots of feedback we get is like, um, they say that listening to our podcast is like we're sitting in the kitchen with them having a cup of tea and a chat. And I love that. I love it. So many people have said that and that makes me like, oh, that feels so lovely that it just feels safe and warm. And so thank you for all those beautiful comments from people. It really, um, it's really beautiful to hear. So beautiful. Yum. Yay. Mm. Yum. Yeah. Oh, do you know, I also wanted to say that anything, yeah. any uh, going away with and any offerings that you would like to share yeah. about? Well, um, oh, look, after this year, this enormous year that we've had, my offering would be just how gentle can you be with yourself (laughs) that is my offering that is what i am taking into this new year the absolute gentleness with myself so i offer you how divinely gentle can you be with yourself and your spirit that would be my um my my just my offering do you want to say what yours is mary yeah very similar actually going into the festive season however whatever festiveness you celebrate is um and uh, I, I might invite to see if there are any shoulds that you might be willing to drop and see if there's any places where you'd like to do do less and um, rest more. <laughs> yes, beautiful. And um, and I have my We're Parenting for Couples course, which is uh, out. So if anybody is wanting some extra support as a couple in doing We're Parenting, then my course is self-paced. You can do it in your own time. So you can find that on my website. And I have a new We're Parenting immersion that I'm going to be starting in February next year. So there's a waiting list for that. So if anybody's interested in that and um, yes, that's, that's kind of my stuff at the moment. So what about you, Mary? And what have you got? Um, yay. 
uh, yes, I've just made, as I was saying to you yesterday, I just finished making four, not as originally calling masterclasses, but you know me and my obsessiveness around words. I'm not calling them masterclasses, but they are videos, audios, and PDFs of various different elements of aware parenting. So they're on my website. And I'm, I, I really love them. They're lots of mm. self-reflections and really making this information tailored to your own family. So um, mm. look if you're interested. Mm, that sounds so good. And that, I'm imagining that's also beautiful for people who are new to her parenting, a really great place to yes. start to really get the foundation and the information. Yeah, although it's designed for people who are totally brand new and also for people who are already really familiar because it's mm. like the way I've just designed it. I really like how I've done it. So, yeah, come, come have a look. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Brilliant. Well, thank you, everybody, for, for following along with us on this journey. It's such a delight just getting messages and hearing from people so and so yummy. how it's impacted. And I always find it funny because really it's just Marion and I having a chat. <laughs> we just like someone messaged and said you know what production do you use and what editing and i'm like oh, it's just me in my bedroom and marrying her bedroom chat. <laughs> um but i love so much that in its rawness with your birds chirping and my dog barking um that we are you know that we're just talking about raising our beautiful children and what an incredible privilege that is. So, yeah. And becoming more compassionate with ourselves along mm, the way. That's so it. That's so it. So thank you, my dear friend, for oh, these beautiful, you, rich Lail, conversations. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so beautiful to, um, to, yeah, to do this. And we look forward to being back, you know, in a bit of time with some more goodness. Yum. Mm. Okay. Thank Thanks. you so much, everyone. So much love to you all and see you next year. Mm, thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.